This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. If you already have your Bibles in hand, turn with me please to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And today I want to bring a message that's going to affect every single person who claims to be a Christian. And we're going to emphasize that word claim to be. In the first part of this message, we're going to examine some thought-provoking scriptures. And I pray that the Word of God would be like a mirror that we would look in and just see ourselves and see how we stack up to these marvelous pages of scripture. We're now in a Bible prophecy conference We've been preaching Bible prophecy sermons now for the last three Sundays, today making the fourth sermon. And I'm going to be speaking in just a minute on this subject, the judgment seat of Christ. Now I want you to notice with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now I want to emphasize in the first part of this verse that this word all is exclusively pertaining to Christians. For we all, as Christians, I want you to know must. It's, it's the same word that Jesus used when he said, you must be born again. So we find ourselves today as believers in a position that there is a reckoning with God. For as we must be born again, we must, as Christians, all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Last Sunday I spoke on the subject in the Bible prophecy series on the rapture. And today this sermon is entitled The Judgment Seat of Christ. This sermon is going to affect every single Christian who has ever existed. I want to focus on those Christians that are here in this place today. So this is a message that is predominantly pertaining to born-again believers. I do have a sermon exclusively put together for those who are lost, who do not know Christ as Savior, and that will be preached in an upcoming sermon. But today's Bible prophecy sermon deals with the judgment seat of Christ. Now listen very carefully. The judgment seat of Christ is the very next split-second thing that will take place after the rapture, immediately after the rapture. Again now, I'm speaking to born-again believers. And before I get to the heart of the message, I want us to consider our credentials for being even permitted to be at the judgment seat of Christ. And because the judgment seat of Christ 
exclusively, discriminatively deals with born-again believers, I think it's imperative that we examine our own personal lives today. We need to examine our hearts. And so what I'm going to do is this. I thought about this on three different levels. And I thought that it would probably be best to share it in this way. I want you to notice with me, before we get to the heart of the message, what I personally believe to be the greatest verse in the Bible. It's found in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 13. You may want to write that scripture reference out. It's in your bulletin. Or you may want to just take a note and uh, write a note beside Romans 10 13. The greatest verse in the Bible. And this is what the verse says. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I think the word saved is the greatest word in the Bible. But at the same time, I want to share with you what I believe to be the most tragic verse in all of the Bible. You might want to write down Luke chapter 19, verse number 10. Luke 19, verse number 10, to me, contains the most tragic word in the entire King James Bible. And that scripture says this, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. So I personally believe that the greatest word in the Bible is saved. The most tragic word in the Bible is lost. I want to share with you this morning in reference to this sermon, the judgment seat of Christ, what I believe is the most scariest verse in all of the Bible. And if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, I want you to notice with me in verse number 13. I've shared with you what I believe to be the greatest word in the Bible, what I believe to be the most tragic word in the Bible, and now what I believe to be the most scariest word in the Bible. I want you to notice with me very carefully in Matthew chapter 7. In verse number 13, the Bible says this, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Now here's the most scariest verse in the Bible that contains the most scariest word. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. That's talking about everlasting life. But notice this. And few. Underline that word few. To me, friend, it's the most scariest word in the entire Bible. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. Those last six words, I don't know about you, 
but it sends a chill down my spine and it ought to send one down yours too. Look at those last six words, few. There be that find it. You see today, in order for you to experience the rapture, in order for you to miss the tribulation and to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, friend, you absolutely must be a Christian. Well, there might be many people in this auditorium today that says, well, that takes care of me. I know I'm a Christian. Millions and millions of people say that they're saved. But you see, the Bible uses a, a shocking word in connection to this thing called everlasting life, he said, Few there be that find it. And this is a question I really want you to ask yourself today. I mean, do you know for sure that you are indeed a Christian? Are you part of this shocking word in the Bible? When the Bible says few, are you included in the few? that find it. You see, the Bible makes it very clear that not everyone who thinks that they are a Christian really are. If you will notice verse number 21, Matthew chapter 7, verse number 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now notice this very carefully. Many will say to me in that day, the day of judgment. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then notice what Jesus replies. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Friend, today I tell you that that's a shocking passage of Scripture, and it ought to cause each and every one of us to examine and search our hearts. Notice verse 22. The Bible lists three things that people will throw back in the face of God at this day of judgment who will stand lost and on the brink of eternity into a devil's hell. Notice, they will say, Have we not prophesied in thy name? Notice, they will say, in thy name, Lord, have we not cast out devils? And in thy name, have we not done many wonderful works? Think about it. But I can tell you, friend, listen very carefully. None of those three things can save one single ounce of our eternal, immortal souls. Verse 23. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Now notice it very carefully. Jesus didn't say, listen now, I knew you one time, but you backslid. He didn't say, I knew you one time, but you got away. He didn't say, I knew you one time, but you couldn't hold on. He said, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. Which means this, there are millions of people in this world who think they are saved, but God says, listen, few there be that find it. And he said at the end, many will say, did we not do all of these wonderful things in your name? 
He said, I'm going to reply to them. Not one of those things could produce an ounce of salvation and ye workers of iniquity. He's saying, depart from me because I never knew you. You think about that. You see, many people are religious for various reasons. Some people are religious because they don't want to be perceived or considered to be a heathen. Some people are religious because they just feel a little bit of religion, like that old Brill Cream commercial. Just a little dabble do me. Some people are religious because they feel that where they currently are in life, it's just not working. Some people are religious for the sake of the children. Some people are religious because a spouse is making them go to church. Some are religious because they just have intellectual curiosities. But friend, listen very carefully. There's a big difference between being religious and being a Christian. It is as far as the east is from the west. So let us examine this morning the judgment seat of Christ. And I ask you, are you ready for the rapture? You can only be ready for the rapture if you are indeed truly a born-again believer. In the New Testament alone, one verse out of 20 refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ. For everyone who is saved, listen carefully, this is not only a great Bible study, but it indeed is a great Bible truth to rejoice in because it is Jesus himself that placed into Scripture. He said in John 14, 3, If I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. That tells us that God has indeed eternal plans for each and every one of us. In this part of the sermon series of Some Golden Daybreak, I want us to look at the events that are going to follow the rapture. You say, what's the rapture? It's the next prophetic time event that is going to be on God's calendar. In fact, there's nothing left to precede it. The rapture is imminent. That means it could happen at any moment. There is not one other single Bible prophecy that needs to be fulfilled that would prohibit Christ from coming today. And I want you to understand this. The next thing that's going to take place is the rapture. And immediately after the rapture, for every born-again believer, the judgment seat of Christ will take place. Now, I'm going to give you some things very quickly here, and I'm not going to have time for you to turn to all of these scriptures. So I want you to write them down. They are listed in the bulletin. You may write them down on your note. But I'm going to make a point that is so important for everybody to grasp this morning. When we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, listen, we're including one of the many attributes of God. Listen carefully. The Bible definitely teaches us that God is a God of compassion. In 1 Peter 5, 7, the Bible says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. God is a compassionate God. I'm I'm not preaching on that subject today, but I could spend all day long talking about His compassion. 
God is not only a God of compassion, but he's a God of mercy. And you can write down Titus chapter 3, verse number 5. The Bible says, not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. God is not only a God of compassion and not only a God of mercy, but he's also a God of grace. Ephesians chapter 2 says, for by grace are you saved through faith. He told the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. So he's not only a God of compassion and mercy and grace, but God, thank him almighty today, is a God of salvation for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be, not might be, hope to be, maybe someday, but shall be saved. He's also a God of forgiveness. I don't know about you, but that's one of the many reasons why I love the Lord. The Word says that if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. And I'm so thankful today, friend, we do not have to live this life shackled to the past sins of our life. He's also the great God of love, John 3, 16. And 1 Peter 3 teaches us that it's not the will of the Father that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But listen very carefully. I make all of those distinctions for this one point right here. Even though God is a God of compassion, He's a God of mercy, He's a God of grace, He's a God of salvation, He's a God of forgiveness, listen carefully, He is a God of love. I want you to also know that He is a God who is a consuming fire. We must never forget that in all of His wonderful attributes, He is also a God of judgment. And judgment is a subject that the politically correct crowd today has totally eliminated from the Bible. Judgment is a day that many people feel that will never come. People don't want to talk about judgment. If we were to open it up today for a vote, people want to talk about that meeting in the air. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him king of kings and lord of lords. And we're going to talk about that at some point. But I can assure you that the lost, hell, eternity, fire, and brimstone, and judgment is a subject that the most popular people of this world have absolutely no interest in. And there is a movement to even eliminate those things from the preaching of God's Word. If you need proof of this, just simply look around and see how people live from day to day. I also believe a great majority of people, listen carefully, who claim to be saved do not really and truly, literally believe in a literal coming judgment. If they did, I believe and I am convinced that people would live differently. Some people believe that if a day of judgment is coming, then they're going to be able to escape it. Because we've reached a place in life, friend, today where there is such a high toleration of sin. We believe that if there is a judgment, 
If it's certain to come and we cannot escape it, then somehow it cannot possibly be as bad as we think. After all, God is a God of love. And God will probably in that day of judgment, because he is a God of love, as we are called before him, will probably wink in our direction and say, well, you did what you could. Good job. You know you shouldn't have done that. You know you shouldn't have done that. Come on in. You know, for the most part, that's what people think. That if there is a judgment and if we cannot escape it, then it cannot possibly be as bad as the word describes. But friend, today I want you to know it's not going to be like that at all. There is coming a reckoning day. Now the Bible speaks of many judgments. There is going to be a horrific judgment for the lost and there is going to be a rewarding or an embarrassing judgment for the saved. And the Bible speaks of many of them. I'm going to mention five of them real quickly for you this morning as we get to the heart of the subject. One of the judgments listed in the Bible is this, the judgment of sin upon the cross. Now I want you to take your Bibles, and this verse is not listed in the bulletin today. I inserted it this morning, but you might want to jot it down. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 3. There are several judgments mentioned in the Bible, and before I get to the judgment seat of Christ, I want to give you these judgments and maybe clarify a few of them for you so we don't confuse them with the judgment seat. First of all, there was a judgment of sin upon the cross. Now, you have to understand what I'm saying right now very carefully. When Jesus died on the cross, He was dying for our sins. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 3, Paul said, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So when Jesus died on the cross, that was His purpose. He was taking our place. The Word says He became our vicarious substitute. He died in our place. He took our sins upon Him. The payment of our sin required every single drop of his blood. The word says in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. So listen to this. The cross of Christ meant death to Christ, but it meant justification to all who would believe. You see, listen, when you stand at the judgment seat, if you are one of the few, and if you stand at the judgment seat of Christ immediately after the rapture, the judgment seat of Christ is not about sin. Sin was judged at the cross. He took my sin. He took your sin. He took the sin of the world. He judged sin at the cross. So I want you to think about that. Now there's another judgment that the Bible speaks about and that's the judgment of self. You might want to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and notice verse number 31. The Bible speaks about the judgment of self and that is this, when we sin, listen carefully, as believers, when we sin, if we are one of the few 
When we sin as believers, the Holy Spirit convicts us of that sin. He doesn't puff us up. He doesn't interrogate us. He doesn't irritate us. When we sin, the Holy Spirit doesn't make us attitude and high and mighty. Listen, when the Holy Ghost is in your life and you sin, He whips the living daylights out of you. That's how you know you're saved. He doesn't give you an attitude. Brother, He brings you to your knees. That's evidence of salvation. When the Spirit of God convicts us, it's then we need to respond and repent. And when we repent, listen, God can withhold His chastisement because the Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. 1 Corinthians 11.31 For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Then the Bible speaks about the judgment of the nations. In Matthew chapter 25, notice verse 32. Matthew chapter 25, and notice verse number 32. This is another judgment mentioned in the Scriptures. And before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep with the, from the goats. Now that's a judgment that takes place at the revelation which is different than the rapture of Jesus Christ. And it's, this judgment is going to be at the beginning of the millennium, the 1,000 earthly year reign of Christ. And it will have to do with the nations living on earth when Jesus comes for the church after the battle of Armageddon. The fourth judgment that the Bible mainly speaks about is the great white throne judgment. Now listen, in just a minute ago I told you that the judgment seat of Christ is exclusively for the, for the saved. But the great white throne judgment is exclusively for the lost. This is a judgment for the lost and at the end of the millennium, this is where all the lost, the dead, and those who are alive will be eternally doomed and condemned. This is where God gives the lost people a formal sentence of condemnation and a literal burning hell. I want you to see this in Revelation chapter 20, verse number 15. Because while you're turning to that scripture, I want to ask you again, are you one of the few? Few there be that find it. Out of all of the sainted millions, listen, are you one of the few? Because if you're not, this is a horrible verse to face, but it is true. Revelation 20:15, and whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That, my friend, pertains to every person who is not part of the few. Now I want you to see something about the judgment seat of Christ. I've listed to you four different judgments of the Word and now we're going to get to the heart of the message today. The judgment seat of Christ 
will cover a period of three and a half years. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to be going along about our business and as a thief in the night, the trumpet of God is going to sound. The dead in Christ is going to be raised from the dead. Their soul, their spirit, which is with Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And at that moment when the trumpet sounds and wakes those who are dead in Christ, their spirit, their soul is going to be reunited with their body. It will not be a cancer-riddled body. It will not be a pain-riddled body. It will be a new body. The Word says, fashioned like unto Him. His own body will be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Why is he going to raise the dead first instead of those who are alive and remain? They got six more feet to go than we do. He's going to keep it all level. Amen. And then as the dead in Christ are raised from the dead and we which are alive and remain are caught up with them, the Lord steps out on the portals of glory and we're resurrected in a glorified body and there we meet the Lord in the air. At that moment, when this resurrection of the dead and those who are alive and remain are caught up, translated, placed within a glorified body, and the Lord Jesus steps out and we meet Him immediately. For the next three and one half years, we will all individually stand before Him in judgment. Not for sin. And we'll see that. You say, it's going to take three and a half years to judge the few? Absolutely. Three and a half years. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, that we, it was our very first scripture today. For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we must all give an account of ourselves, whether it be good or bad. So all of us, if we're part of the few, will stand before the Lord Jesus at the judgment seat and that judgment will last for three and a half years. Now listen to this. The first three and a half years while we're standing at the judgment seat of Christ, this earth is going to be going through the beginning of the seven year tribulation period. Those first three and a half years at the judgment seat, they will be going through a false peace for three and a half years. Now, when does this judgment seat of Christ take place? Listen carefully. I want you to turn with me to, to Revelation chapter 22. And now I'm starting to get pressed for time and I'm going to have to be quick. When does it take place? When does the judgment seat take place? It takes place immediately after the rapture. The trump of God will sound. The dead in Christ will rise first. Those who are alive and remain and our bodies are glorified. Listen, it's then we stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Revelation twenty-two, twelve. And behold, I come quickly, Jesus says. He's coming like a thief in the night. He said, behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according Notice that as his work shall be. We're not going to stand at the judgment seat and give an account for sin. Sin was paid for on the cross of Calvary. 
But we will stand at the judgment seat and give an account of how we invested our life as a born-again believer and inserted into this shocking word called few. Paul said, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day and not to me only but unto all them that also love us appearing. Now where does the judgment seat take place? Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and I want you to see something very interesting. And I'm going to, I've shared this with you before a long time ago, but I'm going to share it with you again and I'm going to clear up a, a misconception of Scripture for you today. I'm going to give you a Bible truth that perhaps most of you never even knew. You're going to leave here today with what I'm going to say now and say I was misled all of my life. I never knew that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when the, or where does the judgment seat take place? Look at verse 16. For the Lord Himself, aren't you glad He's not sending a, a, an angel to re represent Him? The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel. I want you to underline that word archangel. Very important to what I'm going to tell you in just a minute. With the voice of the, the archangel. Not a archangel, the archangel. And with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we, the few, ever be with the Lord. Now this passage is interesting because of that word shout. I want you to notice that with a shout. The Bible says that it's going to be the shout of the archangel. Now take your Bible and turn to the book of Jude. It's only one chapter. And I want you to look at verse number 9. This is important. You're going to leave here today saying, I never knew that. If you had never been in our service before. When I've preached on Bible prophecy, if you've never heard this before, you're going to leave here today and say, I never ever knew that. In Jude chapter 9, or verse number 9, notice this. Yet Michael, I want you to underline the word Michael. Michael, the archangel. Not a archangel. The archangel. And Paul said the shout was going to come from the archangel. I want you to know that the word archangel only appears two times in the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And here's the misconception. I cannot tell you how many songs we even sing. I cannot tell you how many songs have been written that when Gabriel sounds the call, listen friend, Gabriel doesn't have anything to do with this call. When the trump of God sounds, the Bible says it's going to be the shout of the archangel. The archangel is only mentioned twice in the Bible and both times it's directly in reference to Michael. I want you to know friend, when Jesus steps out on the portals of glory, it is not going to be in the plural sense it's going to be in the singular tense and God himself is going to send Jesus and signal to the archangel Michael and it is going to be him that blows the trumpet glory to God 
Listen carefully. What's going to be the result of the judgment seat? You see, we're not going to be judged for sin. When we stand at the judgment seat, it's not about whether we're lost or saved. You see, that was determined in this life. Do you know you have every second right up till the rapture to be saved? And after that, friend, you cannot be saved. Well, I thought there's people going to be saved in the tribulation. I'm putting it off and waiting for that. Friend, you are not going to be saved in the tribulation. You know why? Because God's going to send you strong delusion. That you're going to believe a lie. You're going to believe the Antichrist. Only the people that have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel will be able to be saved in the tribulation. Listen to this. When we stand at the judgment seat, it's not going to be about sin. It's going to be about works. What we did with our lives. What, what did we do with the means God gave us? The opportunities, the talents, the gifts. Our stewardship of living in this life is going to be called into question. What we did with what God entrusted us. You see, He gave us salvation. But when we stand at the judgment seat, what we did with that salvation is going to be judged. You see, did we pass it on? Did we become a witness for Him? Get me three or four books together real quick for an illustration. I want, it doesn't make any difference, whatever they are. Now listen to this. I want you to know that when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, here's what's, if this pulpit, if you would represent it in your heart and your mind today as the judgment seat, the judgment seat, every one of us standing before the Lord when we've been raised from the dead or we've been raptured, we've been changed, we have a glorified body. Listen, everything that God gives us into this life, He's keeping track of it. If, you're not going to have to stand before the judgment seat and say, Lord, am I saved? See if my name's on the list. You know, there's a day I asked you to come. Listen, he's not going to be standing here at the judgment seat saying, well, well, wait a minute, what's your last name? Let me find it here real quickly. Absolutely not. This is not about that. If you stand at the judgment seat, if you're part of the few, friend, you're saved by God's amazing grace forever. But in this life, God blesses us. You see, uh, he, gives us, he gives us health. He's going to want to know how did we invest that health. He, he, gave, us, he gave us salvation. He's going to want to know how we invested the salvation. He gave us an opportunity to witness. He's going to want to know how we invested the witness. Listen, He gave us means to support ourselves. He's going to want to know whether we tithe or not. Uh, let me say this. If I were to announce, which I'm not, take your seatbelt off. Don't reach for your nitro. Take a deep breath. It's all right. But if I were to say to the treasurer, bring everybody's tithing record forward, I'm going to stand in the pulpit and I'm going to read what everybody's doing. 
whether they're stealing from God, whether they're giving to God, I'm going to make it known. Listen, I ain't going to do that. But did you know one day, Jesus is going to do that. And He's going to read what you did with grace. He's going to read what you did with health. He's going to read what you did with your tithe. Listen, not to just the angels and the disciples. The Bible says we're going to give an account of all, whether it be good or bad. Listen, there are no little private chambers in heaven where this is going to be, come sit down in my office for a little bit. Listen, this is going to be public. Public. And this is what's going to happen. It don't matter to some of you now. But here's what's going to happen. You ready to catch these books? Now here's what's, here's what's going to happen. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ with our works, here's what's going to happen. He's going to put them in the fire. He's going to take our stewardship and put them in the fire. This is in front of everybody. He's going to take our grace. What did we do with it? Put it in the fire. Don't take our tithe. What do we do with it? Put it in the fire. And then what's going to happen is, I want you to see this in 1 Corinthians 3. In 1 Corinthians 3, notice with me verse number 12. This is the judgment seat. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Notice this. Look. You say, how you know he's going to tell all about me in heaven? How, how you know he's going to talk about my witness in front of everybody? How do you know he's going to reveal my tithing record to everybody? How do you know? I'm going to show you right here. Listen. Verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest. Do, do y'all need to know what that word means? Manifest? It means to be brought forth. To be made known. Manifest. For the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work. Of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built upon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Now, be careful and throw me one of those books over here. And I want you to see something. When God puts my work in the fire, if what I did was for Him. Listen. Then my work is going to come forth as gold. And then, I'll take one more. And then, if all my works, now if what I did was for any other motive, let me tell you this. 
There are going to be some standing there and they're all going to be popping out. There are going to be some standing there. Maybe two will come out. Well, I ain't worried about all of that, preacher. I'm just worried about not going to hell. I, I'm just worried about having me some little cabin over in Gloryland. You know, you don't have to build my mansion next door to Jesus. Just give me a little comfortable place on the street of gold. Look, I'm not worried about all this stuff. And do you know why? Because, see, most people cannot see this side of the judgment seat. What we see is this side. Let life be what it is. Let your hair blow in the wind. Oh, I'm saved. Yeah, I remember that day. I gave my heart to Jesus. You know, it ain't a big thing. And we, we live life with the things He gave us carelessly and recklessly. I'm not really worried about all that preaching. It's people over here standing here with all these things and all, you know, I'm not really worried about that. Listen, God's not giving you things to put in His fire to pop them out and put medals on your chest where you're going to walk around heaven like some decorated peacock. That's not what it's all about. Friend, listen. The things that God entrusts us with and blesses us with, if we're using them wisely and for His glory, He's going to try them in the furnace of the fire to make sure that our motives were correct. He's going to give them back to us. And when at the end of the day, listen, it's not that you can walk around heaven and say, Hey man, look here. Look what I got. What you got? It's not what it's about. When our rewards come forth, listen, and this is what most people cannot see. These are not for us. But the next phase of it is to kneel before Him and to place those crowns at His feet and say, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the Lamb that shed His blood. God, I don't deserve to be here. I deserve to go to hell, but I loved you and I trusted you and there's, there's my crowns. Listen, the Bible says we'll lay the crowns at His feet. And the reason why the average person who says they're saved, listen, are you part of the few and if you are, do you realize at the judgment seat when we are given rewards, we're going to place them at His feet. But preacher, I'm not worried about that. You know, I'm just not worried about all these crowns and stuff. But listen, stand up, brother, just for a minute. And I want you to stand here. Just hold these books. You know why the average person doesn't care? Because they can't see the other side of the judgment seat. Listen, there's going to come a day when people who are really saved 
who did not work for the Lord, did not serve the Lord, did not give to the Lord. They're going through this whole process where every man's work is made manifest. And listen, do you know that there are some people that are going to be waiting in line empty-handed? While there are those that are going to be standing there with their crowns waiting one at a time to give the Lord, there are going to be some standing there empty-handed. But what does that mean? Listen, thank you, brother. It means this. When you have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ with His nail-scarred hands saying, enter into the joy of the Lord, it might not matter to you over here, but one day in glory, it'll matter to you over here. Because there'll be some that have to meet the Lord empty-handed. You see, the judgment seat is all about works. Not whether you're saved, but what you did with the grace of God after He brought you into His royal family. How you invested your Christianity, your new birth, your work and love for the kingdom. That's why in this message today, by going back to the very first thing I said, listen, and fuse there be that find it. Are you ready? It could happen today. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.